So we're talking about the priority of prayer, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. Let's pray this morning before we dive into God's Word. Father, may our lives bless you today. In my life, Lord, be glorified. God, may we bless your name and not forget the many ways that you pour out your blessings on us every day. God, you forgive sins. You heal those who are sick. You save us in the midst of despair and grief. We recognize that you are God today. You are king of all kings, Lord of all lords. God, you are reigning with your steadfast love, your mercy which endures forever. You continually pour out good gifts into our lives. God, I pray that you would help us delight in you today. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. God, forgive us where we failed. Help us to be forgiving when we have been wronged. God, may our study this morning as we dig into your word, may it draw us closer to you and into your presence. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week on your little handout I gave you, I put a couple of challenges. Does anybody remember? How did you do last week with your challenges? Did you... Commit to praying every day that, God, would you please help me delight in you? Or did you work on memorizing the Lord's prayer? Last week we talked about some of the struggles we encounter as we're going to God through prayer. We talked about the importance of prayer. And over the next couple of weeks we're going to look closely at the Lord's Prayer, which actually would probably be more of the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but he was giving it to the disciples in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the beginning in, in chapter Luke, in, in, in Luke last week, Luke chapter 11, of how the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And this week we're going to look at the more familiar version in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. When we get to the Lord's Prayer, though, I'd like you to read it out loud along with me. It'll be on the screen for you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 4, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Initially, this text feels pretty common. You've probably read it several times. You've probably heard it. You've probably heard sermons on it. Maybe you've memorized it. Maybe you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. But I don't want our familiarity to get in the way of our deeper understanding of it this morning, of our learning from the text, developing more depth. There have been several who've tried to summarize the Lord's Prayer because it's not just a prayer to be repeated, but it's a model that Jesus gave to us. And so one of those ways is known as the Acts of Prayer. So on your sheets in front of you. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's a way that someone broke down the Lord's Prayer into how Jesus addressed his heavenly Father, into memorable chunks. And so as you go into praying, you can pray the acts. You can think of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. This is a good tool to use. It's memorable. But it is just a tool. It's kind of like your screwdriver in your toolbox. It can't do everything. Sure, you can try to use it as a hammer. You could try to use it as a wrench, but it doesn't really work as a wrench. It's just one little tool. But it's a tool that you can use in your prayer toolbox. So put that in your prayer toolbox. Adoration, recognizing and worshiping God for who he is. Confession, we're called to confess our sins to God. That means we're called to name our sins. We don't just go to God and say, God, forgive me of all the stuff I did yesterday. It's probably too long of a list. We say, God, forgive me of. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives to remind us of the things that we need to confess. And we repent of those as we're called to in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Beyond that, we offer him thanksgiving. It's out of our adoration and our confession. When we're confessing our sins, we recognize that he's forgiving those. And that brings the thanksgiving. We don't need to think of things that we're thankful for. They're right there. Who he is. What he's done. The freedom we found in forgiveness. That, that's just a start of the thankfulness we can have. And then... We offer supplications. Those are our requests to God. Matters that concern our own lives or other people's lives. That's a method. You can use, again, a tool in your prayer toolbox. But I want to dig deeper into the Lord's Prayer, the context of it this morning, and describe kind of each nuance and how we can apply that to our lives today. This prayer that Jesus gives as a model helps us to understand the priorities we need to place in our lives. The first priority I see is that prayer has one audience. Prayer has one audience, and that audience is God. Jesus starts by teaching on prayer by talking about a man who loved to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that he could be seen by others. It's not that his prayer is hypocritical, but it's the fact that he is trying to do it for man rather than God. It's an example of what John would say in this verse towards some Pharisees who said they believed in Jesus but never confessed for fear of man. John said, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The first priority is prayer has one audience. Secondly, Jesus says that prayer can be simple. Jesus says in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Now, Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't repeat what you pray. Because later he says you need to keep being, going to God with your prayer requests. There's a persistence in prayer. But what he's saying, what the Gentiles like to do, maybe not even towards God, but towards their worship of a little G God, was God, please do this. God, please do this. God, please do this. God, please do this. God, please. And they would just repeat that over and over and over. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep repeating. God hears your prayer requests. Prayer is a conversation we have. When was the last time you memorized a conversation? You thought through the whole conversation and you knew exactly what you were going to say and how they would respond. Probably after you got past the first sentence, the other person responded differently than you were expecting and all of a sudden everything was off. So it's a conversation between us and God. But we tend to repeat the words in prayer that we've used before. Jesus is saying our prayers aren't dependent on the quantity of words or the intelligence of our words. Many of the Psalms are prayers to God. 
I think some of the psalms that David wrote to, in a conversation to God. He gives us some of the greatest examples of prayer where he starts his prayer with complete hopelessness, complete weakness, complete despair. And he moves from being hopeless to hopeful, weak to strong in God, despairing to reliance on him. Prayer can be simple, but it can handle any of your emotions. Whether that's sorrow or hopelessness or despair or depression or anger or questions or doubts or joy or gladness. All of those emotions are found in God's word. Some of them are found in one psalm. So prayer has one audience, God. Prayer can be simple, but prayer is also relational. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father. Our Father. I want to dwell on this for a moment because I think it's very important to our study of prayer. In the Old Testament, God could, was often uh, likened to a father. Psalm 103 is an example. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God was likened to a father, but this is different when Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. Jesus used a word there. He said, Abba. Abba is like a little child saying, Daddy. God was not referred to as daddy. But Jesus came and he said, daddy. He brought us this intimate access to God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Abba except through me. No one comes to daddy except through me. No one can have that special intimate relationship with the father except through me. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we're now given a new relationship, an intimate relationship with God. A relationship that was only accessible by the son before. Now it's shared with all those who believe in Jesus' name. Paul kind of expounds on this idea in Galatians chapter 4. Sorry, I'm trying to wander here and I can't. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, crying, Daddy, Daddy. Let that sink in a minute. Jesus did that on our behalf. We're now in the same category as Jesus Christ. We're considered God's children. 
me give you one more passage. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus, in just two words, our Abba declares that we are the children of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only that, but because of that relationship, we're told that God gives good gifts for those, to those who ask of him. It's in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your Abba, your daddy who is in heaven give good, give good things to those who ask him? We accept God as our father only through alliance and adoption through his son, Jesus Christ. And by praying our father... We're recognizing Jesus as God's son. We're aligning ourselves with his obedience and we're submitting to his will, the will of our heavenly father. So prayer has one audience. Prayer can be simple. Prayer is relational, but prayer recognizes God's holiness. He's Holy. He's set apart as the only one that is God. While God is Father, while God is Daddy, He's not just an ordinary Daddy. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's our Father in heaven. His name is hallowed. Hallowed's not a term. We use much anymore, but to hallow something means that it is set apart. It means that it is not like anything else. It emphasizes his holiness and that there is nothing in heaven or earth like God. His name is holy. One author, Donald Williams, writes, In general, the glory of God is to be the first thing on our minds when we pray. And so we go to God and we think about his glory in the midst of thinking of his hallowedness, his holiness, the fact that he's separate, set apart, the fact that he is different from anything else. And I was reminded of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, we're told is caught up into heaven and he has this vision of God. He sees God and the angels around God are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Why do they have to say it three times? Because God is holy, holy, holy. There is nothing like him. The whole earth is full of his glory. Maybe you remember Isaiah's response two verses later. Woe is me, 
For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah didn't know what to do, but God showed mercy. God sent an angel to a coal to touch his lips, to clean them, to make them holy. You see, by declaring that God's name is holy, by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're proclaiming as name bearers ourselves, as reflections of him ourselves, that we're also going to reflect that holiness, the holiness of God's name. In my life, Lord, be glorified. In your church, Lord, be glorified. We're reflecting God's holiness. We're reflecting God's glory. That's the purpose why we're here. That's the purpose why we're on this earth, to reflect his holiness and his glory. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and Sinai, and God gave them the Ten Commandments. God needed to reorient the nation's heart so that they would focus only on one holy God. Why? Because in the nation of Egypt, they worshipped multitudes of gods. All sorts of little g gods, idols. Statues, fake likenesses to man and beast. They worshipped anything and everything if they thought it would do something for them. But God took them and said, I am different than anything you could worship. And so in Exodus 20, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. He gave them, have to stay over here, Roger. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? A, there are no other gods. B, their lives have been oriented because of the culture they were in, that they were worshiping all of these other gods. And God said, first, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first two commandments... Actually, the first four commandments are all about a relationship with God. They're all about that setting him apart as the one and only true God, recognizing his holiness. Jesus, in the New Testament, when asked about the most important commandment, he said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I think he was saying there the Lord is one, meaning there's a trinity. But I think he's also saying, make him number one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love him with all of your being. It's hard because we recognize that. Cognitively, in our knowledge, we go, oh yeah, make God one. Make God number one. Worship him with all of our lives. But what happens? We easily misplace our priorities. Think of Adam and Eve. They were created perfect. They were given everything for their enjoyment. And God said, there's one tree. Everything else you can partake of. All of the best fruit, the best vegetables, everything of the land are yours. Just one little caveat, one little law I have. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But what happened? Their priorities got misplaced. They lost their focus, their desire turned. Out of all of the good things they've been given, they focused on the one thing they've been asked not to partake of. So Satan comes along and he says, you will be like God if you eat of this tree. And it says that Eve saw it and saw that it was good. And she took it and ate some and gave some to her husband who was standing there next to her. And so that decision that they made ripples down and all of a sudden we place things above God. We place ourselves above God, making that same decision that Eve and Adam made. We place our occupation, we place our family, we place our possessions, we place our popularity, we place our success, we place our finances, we place our stuff, putting them in a place that only God is reserved to be in. He is the only one who has the right to be there. So the question is, where are your priorities? Or a different way to ask that, or what are the things you dwell on? Or Tim Keller asked it this way, when you don't have anything you're doing, what are you thinking about? Because that reveals the things that are number one in your life. That reveals the things that have taken over the spot that only God deserves to be in. You see, prayer is supposed to help us, lead us towards putting God first in our lives. And so Jesus said, pray then, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That we recognize you as daddy, but we recognize you're our daddy who's in heaven, who's in charge of all of it, who's sovereign, whose name is holy and is set apart and is different. And we do that when we come into God's presence. So in closing, we must put God in his rightful place in prayer, and only then will we find ourselves in our rightful place. He is holy. We are not holy. We're sinful, but we're forgiven. So in Jesus Christ, we can say, yes, we are holy. We understand who we are 
in light of our relationship with our Father. But he's not like any other earthly father. And we are his children, adopted through Jesus Christ. There's one more passage. It's in Psalm 103. And it stuck out to me this week as I was reading through some psalms. And I was just overwhelmed by God's character in these verses. It's a psalm of David, Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy, his hallowed name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your mouth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. He will not always... Chide. Chide means to scold or to rebuke. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Have you ever prayed for angels? David here says, bless the Lord, O you, his angels, in the midst of his prayer to God, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says, why? Because of all of this, all the things God has done. And he ends with, bless the Lord, O my soul. Prayer is to lead us into that relationship with God, that intimate relationship. Have some challenges this week I put on your sheets there. Uh, this week's challenge is set aside a specific time to pray each day. I read something this week and it said, you need to put prayer first or it will end up last. 
I know that true in my own life. That's the only reason I tell it to you. I know that if I don't start praying in the morning, what happens? I get going in my day. It's to be lunchtime. Maybe I think of a few quick things to pray about, and then it's time to go home, and then we're at home, and then it gets to be bedtime, and what's happened? Where's my prayer life been throughout the day? And so make time to pray each day. Set aside that specific time sometime early in the morning. My days go better if I pray first. I don't know what it is. I think it's probably a lot of work on my own heart. But put it first or it will end up last. You can use the axe method we talked about earlier. Again, it's just a method. There's nothing special or fancy about it. It's just a way to remember things that you can talk to God about. Another way would be to write the Lord's Prayer in your own words. Matthew chapter 6 that we looked at today. You could sit down and remember who you were praying to. So a prompt would be, God, you are, and then fill in the blanks. You relate to God as your heavenly Father through Christ. So you could say, God, today I'm feeling this way. You recognize God for who he is. God, I want to thank you for... And then you take time to write out your request to give us this day our daily bread, which we haven't covered any of that yet. That'll be next week. I realized in writing this that I was like, oh, I can't do it in one week. It's not even possible. So. <laughs> but you write out your request, things maybe physical or mental or spiritual needs that you know of for yourself or others around you. Ask God to do his will in your life. God, I trust you with whatever that is. Maybe it's areas of your life where you need to be forgiven. So you say, God, please forgive me for, and you confess those sins. Or maybe it's asking God to lead you away from evil, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you pray, please help me to overcome this. As I said, we'll wrap up things next week, but writing out the Lord's Prayer in your own words can also be another tool in your prayer toolbox. I want to close in prayer this morning, and I want to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to start, but then I want you to just say something out loud about God. It could be a character trait such as God is loving. It could be a name of God. God is known as the I Am. Maybe you'd like to mention, thank Him for something in your life. God, thank you for saving me. But I just want to spend some time recognizing and thanking God for who He is, putting Him in that place of number one priority in our lives. Would you pray with me? Our Father, our Daddy, our Abba, God, we want to place you first in our lives. We come to you recognizing who you are. Who is God to you?
say out loud. Great. Father, you are God, you love children. God, we thank you for these things and so many more. The way you have worked in our lives. The way you have shown yourself to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you are our children. We are your children. You are our Father. And God, we pray that our lives would be a reflection as the moon reflects the sun, as a mirror reflects a face, that we would reflect you, reflect your holiness and reflect your glory. Because the whole earth is full of your glory. And may we just be a part of that reflection so that others may see and recognize who you are and desire that for their own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.